For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I am joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, we just keep going. We've made it to June. We're still talking about sports. Somehow, some way, we are still talking about sports. And we're covering JMU softball, not in a year in review, but a preview. Isn't that crazy? First time ever. This is history. This is history right here. This is history. It's awesome. They made the made the Women's College World Series for the first time in program history. Felt like a long time coming, at least a few years in the making. They've been a pretty good program for, you know, better part of a decade now. So to see them actually get this done is awesome. And we're going to have to dive into a Missouri series that was, I would say, a roller coaster of emotions. You know, they won 100%. the first game. And was, I was like, all right, we got something going. Highs, yeah. Maybe some of the... The first, the seven innings of the second game rolled over into the first inning of the third game. Probably even into the second or third inning of this third game when Jamie didn't have any run support. That was probably some of the lowest lows I felt as a JMU fan, right up there with Jamie pulling the lead against Sam Houston State. I've also had a really tough time, like, consuming softball. Like, with football, you're kind of aware of, like, when things are are happening like if you're at your own 10 yard line you're like all right we're probably not going to score for a few plays softball you could be down you know a run and you just get one swing with two outs and two strikes and nobody on and ties the game like you never know when the big moment is coming whereas i feel like football and basketball you can kind of piece together when some of these things are happening maybe a little easier i was thinking of this too as i'm watching the game because there's multiple times in the third game when odyssey had two two on yeah and like one out and her stuff wasn't hitting she was all around the strike zone and things just didn't feel like they were going well and then you blink and this inning's over and there's no damage done yeah it's it's really obviously kind of like baseball a really unique sport in that way but the reason i was bringing that up is because like i thought they've I think at some point in all the games, I thought they were going to lose all six of the games they played it in this, you know, NCAA run, and they're five and one. Yeah, I game one was the ten inning marathon where Odyssey pitched two thousand pitches. There's definitely times that you, I don't know. It's not that I didn't trust Odyssey. I just didn't trust Liberty not not to score. If that makes sense, that was the most roundabout way to say that, but. That game, you're, you're going through it, and it's just long. And then Tennessee, I really didn't think we would beat Tennessee game one. Um, I didn't they, think we'd, got, we'd get out of the regional. Like, And they, you know, the, the Liberty game, they scored early, but then they quickly gave up runs, and the bats were so quiet in that first Liberty game. And then they did trail against Tennessee before Gaten, Gordon helped them take the lead to go up 3-1. And then they trailed again against Liberty and brought Alyssa in, which seemed like uh, maybe it was a move to to save Odyssey in case there was another game and said Humphrey was really good. The bats came alive and it all really worked out. And Humphrey's been really good. She was good against Missouri too. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, they were down in both those games. The Missouri first game was kind of like the Liberty first game where it was just like, oh my God, someone please get a hit. <laughs> both sides were, were cold. And then they're, what, they get blown out in game two. They give up a leadoff home run in game three. After getting blown out, it was kind of like, oh God, this could get ugly. And then they win by five. And But not even that. Like, they give up the leadoff home run and then they allow two on. And then the next inning, I think, or the next two or three innings, they allowed like a base runner in each multiple base runners. And you're just like, they're getting chances. Eventually this is going to show through. We're going to need run support. And it, the bats just weren't hitting. And then out of nowhere, like you said, like there's a flare, there's something that gets down. There's a, there's a line drive up the middle. All of a sudden you score. And it just, it was an avalanche. They, they kept saying it on the broadcast. They, they were passing the bat. Mm-hmm. They'd get a hit. They pat like, figuratively past the hot bat um I mean it was insane it was so much fun to watch and it was so big it was just so cool and Jamie Twitter was going crazy obviously people were really following this you got some um unique is that the right right way to describe it like if you had told me before the weekend that T.O. was gonna be tweeting about Jamie softball I would have been like probably not (laughs) (laughs) if he said Ron Rivera too like it was kind of crazy. I mean, that's the benefit of playing on ESPN. Like, exactly. you're going to watch. Like, I don't think Ron Rivera knows there's other channels on his television other than ESPN. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, they're scrolling through and they see it. And I, I love what T.O. said because a JMU fan was like, if you had told me that T.O. Yeah. Like, so what you just said. And T.O. responded like, I just love competition. It doesn't matter. I love playoffs. I love playing to winners. Like, this is the most <laughs> T.O. thing in the world. It's such like an athlete mindset, right? Where all these people are just super competitive and they're like, what is it? A, a Sunday afternoon where it was like crappy weather everywhere. The Jamie sports blog guys had mentioned that too, that like the whole East coast was raining. So people are pretty much inside like on ESPN watching. And yeah, I mean, the fact that it got on ESPN was cool. Cause you've got all these other super regionals that most of them were taken care of in two games. And one of the ones that went three started on a Thursday. So it was done by Saturday with Virginia tech and UCLA. So like there wasn't much softball left. So they stuck it on ESPN. It got this national coverage. It was an awesome upset. People were, you know, getting all over JMU and excited about having the underdog story. And I think JMU fans know that they're not necessarily an underdog, but at the same time, like they're unseated and they're getting through the supers. And it's really hard to go to the most college world series if you're unseated. They were the third seed in their region. Right. <laughs> like they shouldn't have caught and gotten. I mean, granted, that's kind of that was just a weird regional in general. You could argue that JMU, Liberty, or Tennessee like yeah. could have been a one. They could have hosted that regional. Probably more so with Liberty and Tennessee, just considering the RPI of JMU was so weak. Eastern Kentucky, poor them. They were just there. They just got destroyed in their first What a tough draw. Glad to be here. <laughs> they were gone. Um but yeah, so I mean it, it's wacky, but in all technicalities, they were the third seed in their regional and they beat an SEC team and they then beat an SEC team. It's awesome. Like what they've done is, is crazy and it's so cool to watch how they've done this. And we got to dive into this Missouri series. The two things that stood out for me, aside from like the actual result, you got the game one seventh inning strike zone that just shrunk to nothing. And then you've got the, uh, the five or six middle-aged uh, female umpires uh, who were in the front row there uh, for all three games. So I'm glad you brought that up. And then I'm going to say the two things I want to talk about, and then we'll dive into your two and then we'll dive Let's into my two. The Lindsay Meeks experience was on full <laughs> effect. And I just want to, I just want to highlight her for a few minutes and talk about what she brings to the team. And secondly, I don't mean to be a, a I'll spin it in a positive way, Love it. but the struggles of Kate Gordon during the yeah. super regional, even dating back to the tennis, that this regional after she hit the home run against Tennessee. But I think, yes. Do you want to start with this, the strike zone in the seventh inning? Let's do the strike zone. Seventh <laughs> well, inning. Well, so- I don't know if we can talk about a strike zone because I don't think it existed. <laughs> it was honestly, in hindsight, it's hilarious. During the moment, it was infuriating because JMU, they get the two in the top of the seventh. So they're up two nothing. And then they almost give away the game, mostly because of the umpire, who is just, uh, I think she had been an umpire for Odyssey before or something like that. But she ended up completely shrinking the strike zone. She honestly walked four in the inning, even though she thought that she threw a ton of strikes. She was hitting the same spot that she had all game. It's not that she didn't think. (laughs) If you were watching that game, she was hitting it right above the knees, on the outside, 
And then if you, I don't know if you noticed this for the rest of the series, I might've just been looking way too much into it. It felt like Odyssey stopped going so low and started attacking really high in the strike zone and things. And that could have just been me looking into it, but I think that seventh inning kind of impacted her for the rest of the weekend. It was weird. And it got to a point at the end of the game where it was like, you have to throw a meatball right down the middle or they're calling it a ball and they're going to like win the game on walks. And she kind of went at them and it was, I think it was their best hitter who ended up lining out the, the leadoff hitter who lined out to Gordon. It was the, the final out. And then she had a heck of a series, that leadoff hitter who kind of set the tone for Missouri. She obviously had the leadoff home run in game three. And I think she was pretty darn good in, in game two. So, I mean, just, just wild, but yeah, I was cracking up at the strike zone that completely disappeared. And Odyssey's normally pretty calm out there. And she was just jumping up and down. Like, what are you looking at? It was, it was so bad. Do you think, do you, to segue into the Karen's behind home plate, which I, I, we're not saying that in a mean way, using Karen is like a, like the mean way of using Karen. I mean, kind of we are. Well, <laughs> But at the same time, it's just such an easy way to describe them. I mean, yes. do you think they had any impact in that? I mean, you're standing there as an ump and like they are drunk people just just human nature i'm not saying purposely just human nature after you've been calling the game and every time you make a, a strike call when they think it should be a ball like they're just berating you and you hear everything because it wasn't far away from each other do you yeah. think that had any impact on it i think that probably had a little bit with the the human nature like you're mentioning with the the road fans but it was also like maybe we should have seen it coming just watching the game where like the umpire was kind of strange all game like the strike calls were phenomenally delayed i imagine she was saying strike like a lot of umpires if you're in person will do that where they say strike and like four seconds later they put their hand up it's <laughs> like yeah you should you should probably do something differently because this is super weird but that seemed like it was happening it seemed like if you threw two pitches in the exact same spot first one would be a ball and the second one would be a strike like there's just really no consistency with with the zone it kind of varied all night so for it to completely shrink late in the game and for her to not hand out like strikeouts looking, I guess made sense. I mean, it's not good umpiring. Like she was throwing strikes and they were called as balls. But I think given how the zone was weird, the strike calls seemed delayed, like everything was kind of off. So then you add in what appeared to be a pretty lit Missouri crowd. Like I think pretty much everyone there had some sort of Mick Ultra. I think they were getting a lot of sales and Bud Light too. seemed like they were doing a hell of a job. <laughs> they, were, they were feeling game one seemed like the rowdiest crowd. Yes. And it was like slightly cold. So I think everyone was probably, you know, the, or reasonably cold. I think it was in the forties and like raining by the end. So they were probably like, Oh, I need an alcohol blanket. And like, I wouldn't blame them. If I was there, I would be doing that. It would have multiple layers and I would be giving myself a Mick ultra blanket, which I think I'd probably go on Bud Light blanket, but I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Bud Light was probably the play. It seemed like a lot of Jamie fans had Mick ultra, but I couldn't really tell. They got the, you know, the cold bottles that oh, <laughs> that's a good bottle. I like this. I can't, can't go against that. It's a ball game. Um, but yeah, throughout the entire series, it was the same women behind home plate and they just got, they were, when the, the foul ball went right back to her, that was hilarious. That was incredible. The fans. Yeah. Well, they were the most noticeable fans I've ever seen. I mean, they're, it's the second inning of game one and they're just furious about the strike zone. I'm like, how you've been here for like 40 <laughs> pitches and you're fuming. And they kept that attitude all weekend. They were, you know, putting their hands up and calling strikes and balls. And the best part is that, you know, the first game, I'd say the umpire zone was kind of wild. It seemed like it tightened up to a reasonable amount as they sort of rotated or whatever with the home plate ups. But like by the end, the strikes were pretty clearly strikes. Like when the pitch was thrown, you're like, all right, that's probably a strike. And they would still lose their mind if they were hitting. And if it was a ball, it'd be, you know, way outside their pitcher threw it. And they'd be like, are you kidding me? So they were, they were obnoxious to have them win in front of them. I think really sweetened it for the, the viewers at home at least. Oh, it was so nice. And it, going to the game three when it was it was out at home plate, we all know it. We can admit it as JMU fans. I think we're, we're old enough to say the ump got it wrong, but it benefited us as JMU. Um, but it was just so nice to hear them just destroy the home plate ump, just showering booze down. Like, I'm not an athlete. Um, I like to think of myself as one, but I have no athletic bone in my body. That's why I talk about sports instead of playing them. But I think if I was an athlete, I would love playing on the road in a hostile environment and you score that run and booze are just ran. Like I would, I think that would motivate me more than cheers. I'd love to hear like an, an actual athlete who's played in a place where they're just raining booze and they're just so it's a rowdy crowd. 
I'd love to hear how they like interacted with it. If they gave them more, like it got them amped up more, but I, I would just, that would just, whew. I think beating Missouri was really cool. Like in that environment, then you had Hattie Moore coming into the week who I think her quote was kind of reasonable to be totally honest with you, where she talked about like Jamie was mostly one pitcher, which is, that's not wrong. Like Odyssey is, is the team's one pitcher, but she also, the quote sounded somewhat arrogant where she was like, we've seen him last year and we had success against Odyssey, which like in their defense, they did. They got seven earned offers. She walked a bunch of people. Hattie Moore was like three for four, the home run against her. Like if I'm Hattie Moore, going into that I'm playing at home against a pitcher I've shelled before I'm like heck yeah but she went one of 11 her one hit came off Alyssa Humphrey I think she was one for three off Humphrey and then what like over eight off Odyssey so she was the and final was the, out, was the final. game losing out yeah so a, a tough weekend for her after the quote but I think you add that even though it was I think it was a fair quote to say but at the same time it still could have fired up JMU if that makes sense so I think that plus the environment playing an SEC team you're familiar with the head coach who coached at Hofstra. Like there's a little extra something there, even though she clearly respects JMU. I think that means a whole lot to the program. And, and then of course you're going to Oklahoma city, which is pretty darn sweet. Yeah. I think, I think the way she worded that quote was where it went wrong. Yes. Like you could have worded it in a way of like, we know they use primarily one pitcher. We faced her last season, um, this, that, and the other. But the problem was that they're only one pitcher. They're all like saying right. like, that's all they're good for. So I think that's where it went wrong. Definitely for sure. And then she mentioned, you know, trying to win it in two instead of three, sort of assuming that they would win. Now I will say, I think if you're any team, you're probably trying to win it in two instead of three. Yeah. Pretty reasonable expectation there. Like <laughs> if JMU had the choice, they would have won it in two. Like I think they would have hoped that too. But yeah, you're right. The way it, it read and the tone and things like that, totally get why. JMU fans were fired up and why you know players might have been fired up by that too but speaking of fired up Lindsay Meeks the Lindsay Meeks experience let's get into this yeah I mean one of the clutches I mean we talk about Sarah Jubis and Sarah Jubis's clutchness all the time I, I think we need to kind of get on the Lindsay Meeks hype train of her clutchness there was a point in game three when I mean people on Twitter were talking about it you could just kind of see JMU had no energy. Yeah. You just almost get run ruled in game two. You start game three with a leadoff home run. Their bats are popping. Your bats are completely dead. And there's just no energy. You don't think you're going to win. And then Lindsay Meeks, I think she gets a hit or does something in the field. And, like, it just invigorates everyone. And I think she was three for four. Let me Let me double check that. I don't know for sure. But she had – a fantastic game three. Yes. Her coming through at the plate is, is important. If they can have her, whether it's walks or getting on and, and hits and the energy, they kind of need that. And yeah, that was, if there's one player to provide a spark, it's her. This is the best part. Sorry. She was one for one at the plate um, <laughs> with two walks. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most Lindsay Meek stat line. I've ever heard in my life, but yeah, she was the only person to t to get walked in game three, which is just insane. But I, 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 you just need to have a little bit of appreciation. And I know all JMU fans do, but I don't think at this point, I think if you're pointing to a position player MVP of the super regional of the regional of this postseason run, as great as Sarah Jubas is, she went, she went two for four with two runs and an RBI. Um, which is great. She was fantastic throughout the regionals, but I would give my position play. Cause of course, Odyssey's your MVP. She's been just absolutely dealing in the circle and has come up with some huge hits to help her own cause too. But Lindsay Meeks, just everything she brings to the table. She's right now the postseason MVP for me. She's been fantastic. And the energy is huge and playing some really good softball. And you mentioned this, I think offline at, at some point that like, there's no player on the team that you would rather have be the person to secure the final out. Than Lindsay Meeks like from celebration purposes that was ideal line out to third that was that was perfect I mean it, one great catch by her because that was a screaming yeah. line drive off the bat that like Lindsay Meeks is in like if she's not in the perfect position she's not making that catch so like good for her for studying the film and knowing like the tendencies of Hattie Moore and it makes the catch and just like you see the excitement and Odyssey in the circle just jumping up and down like that was the perfect perfect celebration and yeah the fact that it flew out to Lindsay Meeks, you're just like sports 
writes itself. Yeah, just a hell of a weekend. It was awesome. And you mentioned this to do this and, and Chase Kitty had a tweet about this as well, but like to do this, or maybe it was, it was Dom actually, I think it was. Um, but for, 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 for JMU to do this with Kate Gordon, not really producing at the plate. is yeah. So incredible. Yeah. Kate Gordon was over 10 during the super regionals. And if you even kind of date it back to the regionals, she was kind of been quiet since her home run against Tennessee. Um, I'm not sure what that's about. Not going to like bag on her for that. It's a hard game. You're playing against some of the best competition right now in the postseason. What's more amazing is that even with your star offensive player going through a cold streak, which is bound to happen, you're going to regress to the mean after her CAA tournament where she went 100 for 100 with 100 home runs. Like this is to be expected. But what's awesome is that Sarah Jubis, we talked about Lindsay Meeks, Logan Newton, especially. Mm-hmm. Odyssey's making a couple big hits when needed. Niokis, game kind of turned when Niokis got into a talking match with the first baseman, which was really fun. Um, but, I mean, just the rest of the lineup. And Chase Kitty tweeted this. I'll give him his props after you give Dom and his tweet props. Um, Chase tweeted that the bottom of the order in that game yeah. three, the bottom of the order was more dangerous, in my opinion, than the top of the order in game three. Like The second you got to five, six, seven, eight, nine – they were hitting. They were they were getting getting after it and would turn it over then to Sarah Jubis and to Logan Newton to really keep it going. It was pretty. It was awesome to see. But I mean, but back to the point. Kate Gordon was zero for ten, and it was just awesome to see the team <clears throat> pick up that slack that your star player. Honestly, I was thinking if Kate had one more at bat in that game, she's hitting a home run. She's so good, and I think she'll probably at some point Oklahoma City do something impressive and she's been solid in the field and I mean they don't they don't win the Tennessee game without the three-run home run oh yeah no she's, so exactly she's still giving them something but yeah I think we're accustomed especially after the CA tournament where it was like oh yeah she homers twice every game including a leadoff home run this is just what she does <laughs> fans kind of expected crazy things but if they can get her going in Oklahoma City it's going to be big um, especially <laughs> going up a team against a team like Oklahoma which is just horrifying I think to to play yeah i mean do you want to move into an oklahoma preview or do you want to keep talking a little bit about the fallout from this game i'm i'm leaving this podcast is a fork in the road right here and you can choose which which way we're going i like this i like this we'll let's stick a little bit with some of our weird hypotheticals and then we'll get into perfect i want to start we got lauren laporte she's the first coach to ever take jamie to a women's college world series um reasonably getting a lot of hype she talked to the roanoke times this week and had said that i didn't realize this i think she went to like roanoke college or something or yeah and uh her met her husband there so they have family close to the area and like she said that she wants to stay at jamie for an extended period of time she said you know i love jamie it's not a stepping stone for me um like i'm not really interested that much in the power fives and all that stuff because like we're close to grandparents for the kids and all this stuff so like there's there's reasons that she's staying in Harrisonburg which is really cool uh, but I was curious just like the Mickey Dean Lauren Laporte conversation is like where do they both stand in terms of what they've been able to do and I know some people have sort of put Laporte ahead of Dean in terms of her coaching ability me personally kind of want to see a little more but I do think she's a really good coach yeah I mean Mickey Dean had them bases loaded your best yes. hitter up away from a super away from the women's college world series and they just didn't come through, you know, like that, like that's the way sports are. So this is such a tough question. I think Lauren Laporte has the better trajectory. If you're considering age, like everything involved with it. But I think Mickey Dean, when he left the program was a better coach but if you ask me today, I know I'm adding so many qualifiers to this. Mickey Dean sucks at Auburn right now. Like, homie's about to get fired down there because he just isn't producing. And so, like, if you ask me today, right now, who do you want? I'm picking Laporte. But if you're talking about, like, who had the better impact on JMU, I think it's Mickey Dean. Um, but what I'm saying, too, with the trajectory, Lauren Laporte has a lot of years left based off of that quote she wants to be there for a while. So she could build them into a Louisiana type where they're in a regional every year. They're always going to a super regional. They're competing maybe not every year for women's college world series, but they're competing for that. I think Lauren Laporte 
is that person to grow the program to there. But if we're talking right here, right now, who's had the bigger impact, who is the better coach for JMU, I'm picking Nikki D. As yeah, of right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously she can she can surpass that. I think some of it too is like he recruited a lot of these players. She was obviously an assistant on the team. So you can't you can't say it was all Nikki Dean, but for him to bring in a lot of the players who are now the superstars of the program, I think says something about him still to this day. And, and he kind of walked himself and some former Jamie coaches have done this. He walked himself into a really tough situation, right? He joined the sec in softball at a team that had just fired their coach. I think they had some kind of off the field stuff that was going on as well. So he did not walk into a great situation. He walked into a team that's playing in one of the hardest conferences. Like they're good. They've made regionals, but you can't get out of regionals and they're struggling to get out. Cause like they're playing other really good teams and they like just haven't quite hit that hurdle. I mean, it's hard when you go into that, that sec realm and you try to get through, like he was dominating the CAA and was, you know, put him in good positions to have success in the postseason. It's really hard to go to the sec and try to change a whole culture. So it was, it was a tough one. I mean, you look at Everett Withers decided to become a head football coach in the state of Texas at like the 13th best team in the state in hindsight, pretty stupid decision, right? I mean, he could have, maybe waited and tried to do something else or he, or he could have learned how to coach defenses too, which would have been really beneficial for him. But I don't know. Like there's just Jamie coaches have done this before. I think Kenny Brooks is an example of someone who's now starting to, to find success with Virginia tech. They had a really good season last year, but even he had some really tough sledding and like Sean O'Regan and Jamie beat him in a, in a postseason game recently. So like it's hard once you leave Jamie, if you don't find the right spot. So we'll see. I mean, Mike Houston's still kind of up in the air in terms of what'll happen there. I actually had a dream about Mike Houston getting fired from ECU. I don't know why, but that was something that came into my dreams a few nights back. But I think it also just goes to show that JMU values athletics so much and they are going to back you financially, like emotionally, like they're going to make sure that you're successful because they don't just want football to be the winner. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not saying SEC schools only care about football because they have great softball programs. Like, if you look at percentage of spending, a lot of it's going towards football. Granted, a lot of it's going towards football at JMU, too. So that's kind of a bad analogy, and I'm going to walk my way out of it now. But I mean, there are a lot of schools that don't give significant resources to Olympic sports. Yeah, and I mean, if you look, especially for softball and baseball, which is a shame that baseball isn't playing well, but they just got new, completely new facilities. It's beautiful the athletes have access to some of the best like workout facilities, probably across like the mid major level. Um, So, I mean, JMU really values them. And I think that's a big reason why softball's doing so well, the support. I mean, JMU put in the extra row of bleachers, the extra outfield Mm -hmm. bleachers. Like I don't think a lot of schools would invest money in that. Like it's just a small thing, but it just shows that JMU wants, wants that softball program to grow. Yeah, I don't know what the, like, most of the facilities are really good. Like, I don't know what golf is really like, but I know they have access to, like, some of the clubs in the area and stuff, like the country clubs and, or courses and things like that. But, I mean, baseball and softball have a good one. You've talked about, you know, football's got the really good one. Obviously, basketball <laughs> made a massive effort to get them something there. Even tennis, though, right? They added those, like, outdoor the bubbles, courts in a so bubble and play stuff. Off, like, yeah. So, they, I mean, they're kind of invested in pretty much – everything in terms of facilities and i guess i mean field hockey's got to find one with probably the arguably the best view of like any stadium when you oh, sit there and you yeah. look out in the mountains and stuff so gets the job done lacrosse and soccer Centara park is a, a really nice area and like i know the athletes don't really use urec mm-hmm. but like if you're then talking about like urec is just such a like if that's the students facilities just imagine what the like I've never stepped foot in what the athletes have, but I can only imagine that it's nicer than you wreck. They've because they've got the like athletic performance center or whatever. And at least yeah. by the time I had left, that was in the same area where I did like tutoring and stuff. And like the weight room down there is really nice. Like they just offices are nice. They got a great study area. Like it's just cool. So the facilities are legit. And this brings us to our most important question is is JMU the best non-power five athletic department in the country? Ooh, you, this was a great question that you posed on Twitter because I imagine you're probably going to have a series over the summer comparing. I, I think us. that'll be the plan. Uh, yeah, so you you kind of forget who are non-power five. Yes, that's the problem. Like Boise <laughs> yes. State is a non-power five. San Diego State is a non-power five. Cincinnati is a non-power yeah. five. Like, so no. Yes. Are, are <laughs> Thank we the you. Best, 
are we the best FCS school in the country? And I know FCS is only football, but if you take away like the power six schools and some of those random low, low major FBS schools, and you focus only on like CAA and Atlantic 10, I mean, even then, I don't know, because you got schools it's, like yeah. Richmond, who is an A-10 school in only, they don't have a football program, but Richmond has a lot of money in their stuff. OD, ODU's in the CUSA now. I think FCS, you could make an argument if you just go to those FCS conferences across all sports. So low majors, but mid majors, JMU is one, but I don't think they're at the level of Boise, San Diego, Cincinnati, UCF, like. Yeah, it also depends, like, how do you weight stuff and and how do you, you have to find a way to kind of do that. Like Villanova has a good football team and like their men's basketball team is I guess technically they're an FCS team, right? And they're yeah, exactly. Like they're playing unbelievable- the CAA, and they then they play in the Big East in basketball. Yeah. But how much do you weight that? I argue right. they're a mid major. I mean, you argue Gonzaga's a mid major. Like as yes. much as people push back on that, they're playing in the WCC. Like they ha- don't don't they don't have power. They don't have mid major money, but they're in a mid major conference. I think that's kind of is, the same thing with Villanova. Is BYU a mid-major, right? Like you've got these, it's hard to, to wait necessarily and how you do it all. But yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because you do forget who are all these non-power fives. Like there are some really good teams. And JMU definitely has an argument with all the Olympic sports and things like that. They contend with some of these, but I think you probably need at least like men's basketball to make a pretty big leap. Um, and then it's, it's kind of hard to actually have any real argument there if you don't have an, I mean, it's hard without an FBS team. I think to, to say that you're, you're in that mix. So unless you're North Dakota state. Right. So I thought that was an interesting topic that some people had brought up and had talked about, I would not go as far as a lot of Jamie fans are saying where it's like, yeah, we have the best non-power five. Like, I don't think that's true. Here's a question then. Yes. Not saying best because that is tough. Like you said, comparing to FBS, but let's, let's kind of change the question a bit to most national relevance, most national stage success. Are we the best in terms of national stage success in the state of Virginia? In terms of the mid-majors? In terms of all of them. Because I, I could, you could argue that Jamie, I mean, granted, now this last season, Virginia Tech just took UCLA to three games, and that kind of muddies the water a bit. Um, but you, you could argue that JMU has some of the best athletic programs in terms of national relevance. They're up there. Virginia schools. I mean, lacrosse is fantastic. Golf just came off there. Good years. Women's basketball is a perennial contender that beats UVA and Virginia Tech year in and year out and is making NIT runs or even NCAA basketball like co- tournament runs. Um, what are your feelings on that? I think UVA blows them out of the water, just having covered them very closely men's basketball has a recent natty that's valid um <laughs> I swimming, about and, that. <laughs> swimming and diving just won a national title for them lacrosse won one over this past weekend all right never men's, mind. Te- men's tennis and women's tennis are both top 10 so yeah, that I makes thought I had some because they, they've been they've been really crazy and it's easy to forget like how good they've been and then bronco mendenhall actually makes the football team respectable baseball is in a regional they still have like women's sports i think Still, I think they probably still have too many national titles to make it tough. But, like, there's some some competitive things there. Like, Jamie was a better women's basketball team, uh, better softball team. So, there, there are some things there. But uh, I think against Virginia Tech, the comparison is pretty interesting, to be honest with you. Okay. Then uh, that's all I needed. That's all I needed to hear. Are we better but than the, Tech? But. but then there's other stuff where, like, Virginia Tech's, like, really good at wrestling and, like, all these things. And you add in the FBS. Mike Young's got the basketball team good. So, it's it's – it's tough, but they, I mean, like, especially with mid-majors, though, I think they compare really favorably to, like, BCU, ODU, Liberty. I think they're the best mid-major in Virginia. This might be my bias speaking, but I think they're the best mid-major in, in Virginia, but way better than ODU. VCU, it's hard to compare because no football team, uh, but they have a, a, they have a, they have a very, very good basketball team. That- Liberty's making a little bit of a run. Fuck Liberty. Sorry. But they're like a, they're weird because, but. They're weird because they're like a football independent, but like they had one really good football season. I don't know how sustainable it is. Well, then, apparently, like, there's a lot of talk around their quarterback for being the, like he's a good. legitimate first round talent. He's a good player. They got the basketball team with Richie McKay. They're like basically mini Virginia. They just run like a pack line and they go slow. And they've been an NCAA tournament team. Softball was really impressive, and baseball's yeah. in a regional. So 
they got something going on there. But I think it's weird too, because like Jamie's also got, you know, a pretty good women's tennis team. Like they go really Jamie goes so deep. Like they're definitely yeah. one of the most well rounded mid majors in the entire country, I think. Yeah, I mean, it seems like almost every well, actually every every team is competing for a CAA title, which means they're getting onto the national yeah. stage, getting into NCAA tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's huge. And, and sometimes they, they pull out a national championship like lacrosse did. They have no business not saying they didn't like, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but they didn't have any business winning a national championship, a mid major from the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia from the CAA won a national championship over Boston college. Like you have no business doing that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just really impressive. And we talked about the facilities. If there's one, and I don't dislike this one, but I wonder if there's any way to ever tweak it eventually it would be volleyball. Uh, Cause it's almost forgotten. Cause it's kind of just like Ian Godwin yeah. in terms of like the court. But well, the, I imagine there's always the talk around tearing it down, <laughs> tearing down Godwin, building out the extension, and then re- and then rebuilding Godwin somewhere. I had to bring that up. How many times have <laughs> I think I've had that conversation? So many times where it's like we're adding a second flight of football seats. We're <laughs> ripping this down. <laughs> when <laughs> I think that's the only, but I think I love volleyball being in Godwin. Like that's it's like a great atmosphere. That's one of the things of like. I'm trying to think of like a football team that kind of has like a podunk facility, like, (laughs) like the green Bay Packers. I know you hate comparing things to men's sports, but I think this one fits (laughs) Lambeau field is disgusting. It's bleacher seats. It's concrete. It only holds like 60,000. Like it's not a good facility, but it's Lambeau. And then like Godwin, I'm not comparing Godwin to Lambeau, but it's like a similar thing. Yeah, exactly. It's so much better. Lambeau doesn't hold a candle to it. But I mean, Godwin is an old, <laughs> old gym that has a fake wall partition that blocks off the other courts. Yeah, and it just gets so rowdy in there. Some of the most fun sporting events I've watched in college were volleyball matches. Like, hundred <laughs> percent. It's just crazy in there. Exactly. So, like, maybe don't get rid of Godwin. But yeah. it is funny when you're going to a volleyball match and like you're walking in with students who are also going to class, and then you like walk past mm-hmm. the table and you're like, they're like. You here for um, Kin 260 or the volleyball match going on in the other gym? <laughs> and there's like, there's a pool in there or something, right? It like smells that's like where, That's where swim and dive. Yeah, it smells, like, it smells like chlorine all the time. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. But yeah, it's, it's you walk in there, it's like truly awesome. But it's crazy how deep JMU's athletic program is. I think I'll give everyone that point. JMU yeah. fans who want to brag and be like, we're good at like everything. It's, it's not wrong. Yeah. Okay. So from there, do you want to move into expectations versus Oklahoma? Let's, let's talk a little bit on Oklahoma and then we can talk a little bit about um, my rant, some rants that we have <laughs> that, that of course always come up after we're on a national stage and national yes. people talk about JMU who did no research. Oklahoma is very good. Yeah. What's our run differential? <laughs> the run differential in 52 games is plus 494. What is that? How many? What's average they're winning by? What's the average they're winning by? <laughs> they're winning their games by an average of 9.5 runs per game. Is that good? It is good. <laughs> do, do you happen to know the most runs they've scored in a game this year? 33. 33. In four won- plate appearances, right? <laughs> yeah, it's horrifying. <laughs> they beat New Mexico 33 to four in a five inning mercy roll, and they only came up to the plate four times. I mean, they could have dropped a 50 spot on them. They're on pace to do that if they had gotten three more innings. Like that's they they opened their season against UTEP and they won 29 to nothing. I have a question. How long can you see how long that New Mexico game is? Oh, that's a good question. That must have been like a three hour marathon. Like I feel like every time I feel bad for those pitchers. They they're interesting too, though, because they play like like the first game against teams, you can kind of stay competitive with them. And then if you have to see them twice in like a two day span, they're gonna absolutely (laughs) ruin your life. Well, so as you're looking that up, the expectations, that's kind of what I've been, like, I was thinking, like, it's not good to draw Oklahoma. Like, that is a David versus Goliath. This is when JMU was an underdog. Like, this is a complete underdog. No one's giving them a chance to win, myself included. But if they were going to win, this is kind of how it would shape out. It's great that they don't have Oklahoma in the Super Regional where you're playing them three day, three times in three days or three times in two days in some super regionals. So the fact that they get to play them 
And then if they lose or if they win, they won't see them again for a few days. I think that's extremely, extremely beneficial because JMU showed against Missouri in game one, they can be extremely competitive and win games. And I mean, against Wichita State, which I don't know necessarily on the grand scheme, but feels like a lesser team to JMU. They were competitive with them. Liberty was competitive Mm -hmm. with Oklahoma. And if you're doing head-to-heads in the transitive property, JMU should be able to be competitive with them in the first game. But, man, it's going to be a tough, tough task. Odyssey's been dealing this entire postseason run. She's going to have to have another historic day. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how it all works with – with Oklahoma, because yeah, you mentioned that Liberty series was really competitive, where it was five four in the first game uh, when Liberty and Oklahoma played. They were able to keep it close and and barely lost, and they played play them again in double header. It was like sixteen to nothing. <laughs> Mercy rule, like Oklahoma's just just scary. And I looked it up; it was a two hour and ten minute game against New Mexico, so they kept it quick. How do you score thirty three runs and keep it quick? I don't know, but their their stats are hilarious: twenty eight hits. 10 walks, they didn't strike out. <laughs> 33 runs. All right. All right. Like, what in the world? So what are your expectations? Let's uh, talk <laughs> about scores. My guess is that they will lose to Oklahoma, which I think is just a fair assumption. Although, I mean, I think they can keep it competitive in the first game, depending on how they come out. You're also dealing with, you know, what I would guess would be some of the most nerves you've ever felt, right? This is a historic achievement playing on the biggest stage. Like I would have butterflies. I'm going to have butterflies watching. But you're also, you've, you've gotten to this point, you're playing with house money now. I mean, this is what like announcers always talk about when like an underdog started a game really well. They're playing with house money. They, they did the historic thing. Anything from here on out is icing on top of the, the amazing cake we've just been served. Yeah. I mean, for sure. They're going to go in. I think they're going to play, with their hair on fire. I also think you can't totally escape that. Like, Oh my God, look at all the screaming people, especially after a COVID year. Especially that OKC just installed the second story of bleachers and it's already sold out at hundred percent capacity. It's going to be packed compared to like road CA COVID games where you've got like, you know, maybe like three families in the, in the stands who are like begrudgingly there to watch their, their daughter or something who plays at Elon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But I think it's probably not – I mean, it's just going to be crazy. I think they'll be relatively nervous. But they're also good, and they're really competitive. So I hope they can keep it close. I think they'll probably lose, like, I'll say, like, 4-1 to one or something to Oklahoma. And then you get the loser of Oklahoma State-Georgia in an elimination game, which would be Saturday if they lose. Um, and I think they've got a chance to at least win a game. Like, I think they'll be competitive in that. And I also think if they lose, you know, you got an extra day of rest. You've got some of those initial butterflies out, and you're playing a team that's not as good as Oklahoma. So yeah, I think there's definitely a chance that they could could at least win a game or or maybe even two in the women's college world series. I mean, JMU is two and one against the SEC in postseason play so far. So three and one. Because they have the two Missouri games. And then they got Tennessee. Fuck, you're right. Three so let's hey, if they get unseated Georgia in the loser bracket or something. But if they it's Oklahoma ESPN Thursday at noon, it would be insane if they won i'll say that if they like play out of their mind and they pull off an upset against oklahoma i'll probably pee myself and then i will just decide that they're winning the national title if the here here's to me the game plan for them to have any shot at beating oklahoma score more runs exactly odyssey has to be dealing yes and their bats can't be quiet at all they have to get on the ball quick if kate gordon leads off with a leadoff home run not going to ask for that but please let's make that happen sports gods like they're going to have to start the game at such a rapid pace not because oklahoma's going to like hang 30 on them i do think it's going to be a relatively like low scoring game if for podcast listeners i put big time quotation marks around that because i i don't think just based off of how oklahoma plays teams the first time they don't hang 40 on you the first time so i think it'll be a relatively under 10 for Oklahoma scoring game. So Jamie will have a shot, but their bats just have to come alive. And Odyssey's gonna have to not allow balls to get into play. Like I think if they're hitting contact, it's gonna get dangerous. It's just so hard to like to really stop Oklahoma. Like they're so good. Like they hit like four, it's like 420 as a team, and no one else in the country hits over 350. That's insane. They're hitting the ball 42% <laughs> of the time as a team. Yeah. 
That means <laughs> for, probably there, there's people on that team that are batting 500 or better. They've got, I think they have a couple at like 490. Like they're just, they're so good. They hit an unbelievable amount of home runs, which you have to, if you're scoring, you know, you have a game where you score 30 runs, you, you're probably leaving the yard sometimes. They're, I mean, they're unbelievably good, but I, w- I will say, you know, they've had competitive games. They don't beat everyone 50 to two. They just have some of those, those matchups where they do win 33 to four against a really overmatched team. And it boosts the stats like crazy. Um, just like JMU stats coming into this were yeah. very boosted. People were like, why are they not scoring eight runs a game? It's like, well, they're not playing Delaware today, you know? So it's, it's different for both sides, right? Cause JMU is a scrappy, really talented SEC caliber foe. Yeah, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for game two, whoever they pull, either Oklahoma yeah. State or Georgia. Like, that's also going to be a fun game. Yeah, yeah, and that could oh. be – game two could be win or lose. So, it's still – you get the winner of Oklahoma State, Georgia Yeah, if you beat Oklahoma. Regardless, it's going to be sick. It's going to be a fun two-day – I hope JMU's in around for longer than two days. But like I said, this was the goal, kind of like how yeah. Knicks fans – the goal was the playoffs, and now that they're getting destroyed in round one against the Hawks and Trey Young, like they're not really that sad about it. For us JMU fans, this is this was what the goal was coming into this season, and what the goal is every season. Now that we got here, maybe it's winning some games, but anything past this, to me, I'm going to be sitting there watching this game with a huge smile on my face, even if Oklahoma goes up 10-0. Oh, they could lose like 30 to nothing. I wouldn't care. Like not, not care, but I would like, well, probably not care. I mean, it would just like, they've done a historic thing. They've laid the groundwork for future JMU teams. Yep. This is going to, I think we talked about this off air. It's going to be huge for recruiting in future seasons. It's just really cool. And like, this is the kind of team that'll like come back 20 years from now at some big JMU sporting event, whether it's a softball game or it's, it's football or basketball, like, and they'll be honored on the field or something, or, or even before that five years, 10 years, it's just, yeah good for them and I hope some of them do continue their careers professionally I would love it if you know Odyssey Alexander Kate Gordon Sarah Juba some of those players you know hop on with a professional team and and maybe there are chances where you can see them and because I know Megan Good Jalen Ford they're still scrapping around and, and playing professionally and people are able to go out and occasionally see them which would be pretty cool if you could see you know a handful of Dukes yeah I think Megan Good's playing for the USSSSSA Pride she's with Jalen, same team. Yeah, Jalen also plays half her time in Japan. Yes, I think Megan spent time in Japan too. Like, I wouldn't gotta, be surprised. Got to get that bread. Got her to come over. Got to get that bread. So, because I mean, paid pro- softball. professional softball is not paying you more than fifty thousand a year, if that. Yeah. So hopefully we get we get to watch some more. I'm interested to see the future of the team too. We haven't really touched on this much before I rant. Um, but, like, the broadcast, it was either the regional or the super regional. We were talking it about this. Super. It was a super. I think it was game three. You're right. You're right. They dropped this. I think they might have done it quickly in game one or something, too. But then they did it again. It was very confusing. But they dropped in that Lindsey Meeks is, like, going to PT school in Ohio. He's graduated from JMU, is right. enrolled <laughs> in a PT program in Ohio, and would go to class. It was like commuting. Well, I guess now she's not because they went right from Columbia to Oklahoma City. Yes. Like, I imagine that's an excused absence on the attendance sheet. Right. Um, you know, Lindsay Meeks in Women's College World Series excuse <laughs> type of thing. But before that, like, they're saying through the CAA championships and, like, the end of the season, like, after she graduated from JMU, <laughs> she was commuting and then coming back for the games. A short commute. Has that much energy. Let's just talk about that. Somehow has the energy after probably commuting 15 hours down from Ohio. I don't know how far Ohio is, but like, man. It's a hike though. But does that mean she's gone next season? Is Sarah Jubis gone next season? Let's not focus. I guess this is next week's podcast. Yes. But I would, I would love it eventually if someone could give us just a list like a clear list of like who returns because they have a lot of really good upperclassmen, obviously. Um, and you've got, you know, Odyssey and Niokas and uh, Kate Gordon, which you imagine some of those players, the super seniors are probably done, but then like are the redshirt juniors, like you're saying, Meeks, Jubis, Logan Newton, like how many of those come back and um, the recruiting class looked pretty good too. So I'm interested to see, maybe they have some transfers on the way as well. Cause like Alyssa Humphrey was a transfer. Caleb Bozeman hasn't played a lot, but she's a Mississippi state transfer. And uh, even Michelle Sullivan, I think her at-bats have been crazy impressive. She's a redshirt junior. So interested to learn more about 
who will come back because I am an annoying fan who is always looking like multiple years ahead and is like, well, are we going to be good forever? So <laughs> when is this going to end? <laughs> exactly. Should I rant now? Should I do the rant? I'm, I'm ready. I was looking where Alyssa, I didn't know Alyssa Humphrey was a transfer. Yeah. She was at Jacksonville for yeah. last season. Yeah. That's a heck okay. of a find. Hit me, hit me. Give me your rant. I'm just going to, here's the floor. Take it. Here's your soapbox. Stand on it. Go ahead. I'm trying to do this in a, in a good way, but basically I've talked to you about this, like my sports pet peeve. I tweeted this too, is like when people compare a women's sports team or athlete unnecessarily to a men's team. As I've done twice on this podcast now. (laughs) I mean, I've done it. I should like start with that, but I've definitely done this before. I'll probably do it again. And sometimes, sometimes it absolutely makes sense. Like there are times where there are comparisons that make a ton of sense. It's just like, I feel like with this run, I've heard a ton of comparisons um, with Jamie softball to men's teams that don't make that much sense or like are kind of a stretch. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to do this without, you know, naming names, but no, like Shane Metlin wrote a story about how they're similar to Gonzaga. And I think part of it definitely made sense. Like, you know, the idea that if you're an underdog, eventually people will stop rooting for you. And that could happen if Jamie becomes great, which like, do you still, when Boise State was a BCS contender, did you root for them? I didn't follow college football all really? that closely at that age because BCS, okay. was, well, granted, we're the same age, but like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I was really into Virginia Tech back then. I know, terrible, oh, terrible to say that as like a Jamie it. alum. Um, but my dad went there, so I was a de facto tech alum, gotcha. tech fan. Gotcha. Um, and then I came to my senses. But, I mean, it was always fun watching him on the Smurf turf. Like, yeah. that was always fun. And I never was like, oh, I hate Boise State. I was always like, okay. I was a Boise here. hater. I won't you? lie to you. I was – Boise got to a point where I was like, why are you not playing power teams? Soft schedule shouldn't be in the BCS title game. So I was – I can relate to this where I became a Boise hater. We'll see. Were you ever a UCF hater? I went back and forth on UCF. Because I'm a big – I like during their three-year run of being undefeated or whatever it was or losing one game, I was very much like this team deserves a shot in the college football playoff regardless if they're going to get waxed. And like so I was always rooting for UCF. I was like, you got to win every game. You got to show the committee what they're missing out on. And like – so I was I, a big UCF guy. So I think if I was following college football back, would have been a Boise guy, I would have yeah. been a Boise State person. I liked UCF at the beginning, and then they claimed a national title, and I was like, hmm. That was <laughs> hilarious. They were the only undefeated team in the nation, so, so they rightly was, deserved that. Joe Burrow waxed them in that bowl game the next year. I was kind of kind of stoked <laughs> about that. But no. But anyway, my, my larger point, um, the story compared to them Gonzaga, and it talked about how like they had a coach who started at the beginning and left for a Power 5 job. And then Mark Few took over and it's been better. And the idea was like Mickey Dean and sort of a parallel there um, and that they could potentially become a big superpower. I totally get that. Totally get it. Not a terrible comparison. Um, I think my thing is that like no one ever does that the other way. Like no one's going to watch a Jamie football game and be like, oh, this reminds me of the softball team. I feel like it's a, a thing that happens a lot where people compare women's sports to like a random male or something. And maybe it's a lack of historical knowledge. But the other thing is like, like Jamie doesn't really remind me at all of, of Gonzaga men's basketball. Like no offense to any potential Drew Timmy and Odyssey Alexander comparisons out there. I'm, I'm sure they're great. Uh, but like, they're so similar to Louisiana softball in the way that Louisiana has been a mid-major dominated the Sun Belt, had success in this league and grown through it or through it. And they've had, they've, <laughs> they've had a ton of success as a team. They've been to super regionals. They've been to the women college world series six times in their program history. And they kind of go like every five or six years. Uh, They've had some multiple coaches, but they've had just a ton of sustained success. And like the way that they've risen as a program and dominated one conference, but still been good enough to beat SEC teams reminds me a ton of JMU. It's the same sport, which seems important for comparisons. And like, I just wish, I wish there was more comparisons to like within the same sport or things that, um, I mean, I don't think the Gonzaga one's bad. I just think that, like, I want to know as a fan if JMU can sustain this. I think you can learn a lot from what Louisiana has done. That, like, realistically, JMU is not going to make it to Oklahoma City every year. Realistically, just because they've made it does not mean at all 
they'll be considered a power program because they're still playing a conference schedule. The SEC is still going to be favored. Like Louisiana beats a lot of really good teams does not mean they're hosting regionals and super regionals every year. Um, and it doesn't mean they're getting like an easy ride to Oklahoma city. So that's kind of my rant is just like, I wish that there were more, well, one, I wish there was more coverage of women's sports. Like the fact that nobody has answered whether Lindsay Meeks is coming back when she's going into one Ohio is crazy to me. Like even ESPN, how do you do that? And then not also mention if she's returning or if she's like, I imagine she's probably not if she's going to school in Ohio, but the COVID stuff makes it weird. So like, tell me what's actually happening. And then at the same time, I wish there were more comparisons to like, hey, JMU stacks up or makes sense as a comparison to this team. And here's what you can expect in the future based on what they've done. I think that'd be way more valuable than saying that like, they remind you of a, you know, 2006 football team or something that like people have done these weird comparisons. Yeah, I think just in the day and age of not to get like into the, the politics of social media and local journalism, but like, click sell so like who's gonna like a, a casual fan yes. isn't gonna click on 100 jmu is the early 2000s louisiana softball program and it's like okay but like i'm gonna like a casual fan's gonna click on jmu is gonzaga and it's like whoa they just won the national <laughs> title man 100 100 i think the comparison has aspects that make sense and then at the same time i go and i'm like gonzaga spent an entire season as the number one team in the country like Jamie softball is not anywhere near spending an entire season as the number one team in the country. You were absolutely right about the clicks. Someone else was replying about my general thing about um, women's sports being compared to men saying that, that most people have more knowledge of men's sports, which is why they do it. Cause they don't have a lot of things to like pull off of. Like I imagine most Jamie fans don't know anything about Louisiana softball, but they probably have seen Gonzaga. Yeah. So it, it makes more sense. Like I totally get that. I totally get the clicks aspect. This is mostly a me problem, 100%. <laughs> well, no, I, I get what you're saying, too. It's like, how are you going to grow women's sports? Just If you always general, have to compare always, it to the yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. And like, Especially if the – it's a, I think some of the comparisons do make sense. I think the Gonzaga one, again, and I'm mostly using this as an example. I feel bad for, like, piling on this story. Um, but, like, I think that a lot of them do make sense and have areas, but at the same time, you can easily poke holes on, like, GMU has two decades before they could actually be a Gonzaga. Like Lauren Laporte's in what, her fourth season or something? Like yeah. third season? I don't know. So like in fifth. Yeah. So whatever it is, like they've got a long way to go to be one of the top. They're also getting recruits. You had said this off air. They're, Gonzaga gets like five-star studs. Like JMU's still finding some of these like diamond in the rough recruits. Yeah. JMU l- lucked into Megan Good. like she was a volleyball player and no one knew she could actually throw a softball and become one of the top three best players in the nation. And then Odyssey Alexander kind of lucked into her as well. She was this rough, not rough, but she wasn't as refined as Mm -hmm. like a Rachel Garcia type. And it turned out that once you kind of sanded the edges and made her a fantastic pitcher, she's a top 100, if not top 10 player when she's at her best. A lot of these people play it on like this, um, and everyone should read this. We retweeted it. It was a Graham Hayes wrote a piece for D1 Softball. Um, but a lot of these players played on a travel team. I want to say it was like Chicago area based. Um, but a lot of them, including Odyssey, I guess at some point was somehow on this team, even though she's from Virginia. And they have gotten so many recruits, like all of their best players. Like you look at like the top four people in the lineup, they're all like familiar with this travel team and like, all these people have, have these Chicago ties that Mickey Dean was connected to and like recruited. So like, ah. there's some, some crazy stuff there about how they've gotten some of these, these players. I don't think Megan was a part of that, but just wild how they've actually done it and the connections and, and different things there. So it's, yeah, I mean, they're still working pretty hard to compete with, with power fives. I guess my main thing is like, I hope there's more women's sports coverage in future seasons where we can be like, Hey, this applies to this, or this reminds me of this instead of, Every time someone asks me, like, you know what baseball pitcher Odyssey reminds me of? And I'm like, please stop. None of them, because they, none of them pitch how Odyssey pitches. Which one's pitching say, underhand? Like, <laughs> like a general critique on it. And this also comes back to us if we're being putting the mirror up, you know, just like better softball coverage year round. Like this team is a women's college World Series team. And the yeah. only time, like, we covered them lightly. We would talk about them every podcast. 
we do a little bit of a dive, but like there just wasn't a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. So I would love for local media to, I know they can't afford a beat writer because money's tough in local small markets like that, but just something where like we're getting a story once a week on softball or feature content or something like that. Cause that's the biggest thing. Like women's sports aren't going to grow, especially when you have a women's college world series team in your backyard, like give them, give them the love they deserve year round. I mean, that goes for all the women's sports and men's sports. I think something that stands out to me, like going off of that point is like Odyssey Alexander is a breakout star of this tournament. She is a huge star at JMU. She missed like a month of the season with a hamstring injury. And I didn't know what the injury was until like the end of that month. I didn't know why she was missing games. Yeah, exactly. And that should be like, that's, I don't even need a story, but I need a, <laughs> I would love like someone to tweet Odyssey's out for the next month due to a leg injury. Like it doesn't even, cause I know JMU's tight lipped about injuries. Right. So you don't even have to tell me hamstring. You can just say with a leg injury or like, I think it eventually got into some of the coverage, but yeah, like you're saying, and I guess this year is not the ideal comparison, right? Cause you got the football team making a national a title run flag. in the spring and things like that. And, and all that, I guess even the soccer team was competing, like it was weird, but in future seasons, yeah, I'd love if there was more, especially at the national level too. Like, I mean, you can't find a reasonable bracketology until the day before the selection show. And even then it's like not. And even when they're in the bracket, and you know this is the team you're going to be covering for an entire weekend. They have nothing prepared. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is, like, the national softball media is basically just, like, an SEC and, <laughs> and Pac-12 media with some Big 12, I guess. I guess it's more SEC and, and Big 12 than anything. I mean, you'll try to find anything on the mid-majors, and nobody has any idea what they're talking about. They're like, Cinderella JMU, who does this every year. You know. <laughs> I mean – they kind of started doing this in game three when it was like at one point, like a one run game, they started talking about Oklahoma's dominance. <laughs> and, the, and you're like, this is a one run game with six outs left. And like, this may be the game of the week. And we're talking about Oklahoma's dominance in the sixth inning. Yeah. It's just, uh, and a lot of this is me just being like way too tuned in with someone else that also basically replied. They're like, you probably watch like five to 10 times more women's sports than most people. I was like, fair. Cause you're like a college journalist or whatever. I was like, yeah, I guess that, that does check out. <laughs> but at the same time, like it'd be really cool to have more information consistently. Cause I think the main stuff is like ESPNW doesn't do a lot. You got D one softball, which is I think connected to D one baseball, but they're doing a lot more about baseball then softball America, which I guess is connected to baseball America, which again is way more. Um, baseball. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, like they're both subscription based. And if it's going to be kind of like hit or miss content where you're like ranking the top 25 players going to the women's college world series and not like detailed features, I'm absolutely not paying for it. Like no offense. Just, I want to know stuff. I don't know. Like I, I know who the 10 best players in the thing are. If I cover college or follow college yeah. softball at all. Here, here's know. our thing. JMU, give us access and we will write in-depth features on any player you want. You want an in-depth feature on the third string something or other? Like we will do it. Just give us access if they're listening. We to might have to hour. We might have to start doing that next next year more where we're trying to get some or at least trying to get more information on like Olympic sport injuries and things like that. Like yeah, get I mean, some info. I would love to start doing. Hey, if somebody wants to pay our salaries and give yeah, us a, a full time. Anyone out thing. there listening, if you guys want to pay us both enough to quit our current jobs and do this full time, we will become the best media entity at JMU. <laughs> no offense to the Daily News Record or um, WHSV. They do great work too, but we just, we're, we're, we're kind of, we have big egos. So we like to think we're the best huge, at everything we do. <laughs> huge egos, Jack. But yeah, that was my rant. I wasn't trying to necessarily call out the Gonzaga thing. I think it was a really good example because it's, it's not a terrible comparison at all. Um, it's just one that I wish. And again, I totally get what you're saying. Like Gonzaga draws more interest than Louisiana softball. But I think there are some, some comparisons that I hope we learn. And I hope that we, somebody takes a deep dive into who's going to return for JMU softball, what the future looks like. Um, if they don't, we will figure it out. <laughs> we'll do the details. Who knows? Maybe we'll just send an email now to the SID. We should be like, who's and just be like, back? who's coming back next season? Like, is this is this information you guys are sharing? And then just tweet like, 
<laughs> Honestly, that, what, what's the worst thing can say? We're not releasing that information right now. Some of them might be saving it, but until after the season ends. But hopefully, we learn it soon. Yes. They may they may give it to us, and uh, I'm very excited for Thursday. I am too. Tomorrow we're recording this Monday yes. evening, Monday five p.m. So we're very excited for Monday. Tomorrow. Did I say Monday? <laughs> yeah. Wednesday. You're having a week. I am. It's it's been a week. I worked. Wait, it's Wednesday. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I don't even know. My day were, you, were you supposed to work today and you just like totally bailed for this podcast? Yeah, exactly. That was <laughs> it. No, I thought I thought today would I don't know. Never mind. I'm I'm losing my mind. So anything else to add? It was it, this was an all softball podcast, breaking down yeah. Missouri, previewing Oklahoma's scary run differential. Um, but anything else you want to add? No, I'm ready to go. Awesome. For Ben Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. JMU, first pitch tomorrow, Thursday on ESPN. Yes. What time? Noon? At noon. A noon first pitch. So have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.